Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Phil Tiger. Hello everybody, welcome to the Slacker Podcast. We are on season five. We are on episode four. So far in this season, previously on the Slacker Podcast, we've had Moby, we've had Bicep, we've had Royal Blood, so you can rewind and get deep into uh, the podcast that we're releasing here in 2021. Or you can just go back um, through the annals of the the slacker podcast i mean listen i'm just scrolling here i'm on i'm on what am i listening to it on on spotify my phone going off as well who's that oh my god it's the king of podcasts and they're telling me wow you're incredible a podcast wow amazing um no seriously i'm going back through them uh jarvis cocker leanne the havas bob geldof ksi phoebe bridgers Run the Jewels, Ludovico Ianaudi, LaRue, Youngblood, Biffy Clyro, all the way back. Who was number one? Number one was Manic Street Preachers. Number two was Wolf Alice. God, that was like 2018, October. Um, so yeah, wild weird. Um, but I'm now in Belfast. I'm starting to settle. I've got a, a, a new gaff. I've got like a new studio. You can he- probably hear that the, the room needs a little bit of like audio treating. Um, which I'm sure is fascinating news um, for you to to learn on this wonderful day of a, a new podcast coming out. And yeah, just means I'm sort of like getting a little bit more saddled now. I had to take a couple of weeks off there while I was moving house and, and all the rest of it from season five. But that's the, the glory of podcasts. They, they aren't as like regular as as um, you generally get with radio, except my Chill the Beat show, which is like clockwork. Sponsored by Chill the Beats. Um, no, every single Sunday, um, I do a show which is like two hours of pure, unadulterated, soft focus sounds. It is like a shower for your brain, um, and it is everything from like the best new chill music to like really deep cuts from classics, like songs you might have heard a little bit uh, in a while, and. We normally have one person on to pick a couple of tracks every single show. And recently that was um, Jungle, who who did it on Sunday. This Sunday coming, um, we have got Ben Howard, who is picking the tracks. And yeah, go and listen to Chill the Beats. If you want to listen to 
basically a radio show. It is a radio show, but it's on Spotify. Like if you're tired of listening to the same old stuff on on the BBC, on um, Global, on wherever, just wherever on radio you listen to stuff and you want something a little bit different, go and check out Chill Debates. Um, also, remember, if you want to support the Slacker podcast, then you absolutely can by going to patreon.com forward slash Slacker podcast. And uh, Chill Debates is probably... Um, a little bit more active um, on the on the Patreon. There's loads of bonus episodes going up. I've even started a brand new show, which is only for the Patreons of Chill the Beats, which is called The Masters. And it's quite exciting. We take like uh, a huge artist like Frank Ocean or Nina Simone or Apex Twin and we delve into the music that created them, then play some of their music and then play some of the the legacy that they've left, some of the artists that are Inspired by them, here's Rebel. Hold on, Rebel, come here. Come up here. Coming up the stairs. You coming in? I, I don't know. I never know what she's doing. I never know what she's doing down there. Um, but yeah, you can check out the masters and everything to do with it. Um, at patreon.com forward slash chill the beats, and you can support the show. And yeah. Just be absolutely sound, supporting grassroots content. Isn't that what it's all about at the end of the day? Um, this week's podcast is an artist that I've been supporting from very, very early on in his career. Um, he's growing exponentially uh, year on year. He's put out some incredible projects. Uh, he thinks very, very deeply about the concept of things. And, and just ha- he's just a great artist. He's just somebody that... I don't know where he's going to go next and every single project he comes out with there's something super interesting in it for everybody also he's pushing hip-hop forward in ireland probably more than anybody else at the minute that's why i'm delighted to welcome kojak to the slacker podcast in three two one i'm just gonna say this is us starting the podcast right now i've got a podcast um Slacker podcast with Kojak, and we're starting by him trying to guess my dog's breed. You you keep keep them uh, going there. Tell them a little bit about yourself. I'll go get the dog. Listen, Phil, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. My name is Kojak. If you don't know my stuff, I'm a hip hop producer and artist from Dublin, and I'm very into dogs. Fanatically into dogs. My goal in life, somewhat like. I don't know, kind of like Pokemon. There's this YouTube video and it has all 250 dog breeds and I've been watching it religiously over the lockdown trying to figure out every single breed of dog. Hold her up, Phil. Let me see what it is, he or she. For the benefit oh. of those who've never seen my dog, I'll put a picture on Instagram. Right, okay. What are you saying? She's a wee, she's a wee bit cockeyed, but I think that like adds to her um, menace and charm. These type of terriers I can never get. It feels like it's almost like a Westie crossbred with something else. Well, they they actually the, the jokes on on both of us really because we got sold her um by uh, a fella <laughs> as a Pomeranian toy poodle and she's as much a Pomeranian toy poodle as I am Tyson Fury. Like <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's not the case. Anyway, We'll never know. Actually, by the time this comes out, we'll know because my missus um, spent 50 quid on a DNA test to actually find out what she is. For the dog? <laughs> the dog, yeah. All that information is going to get sold to, to some, some 
some company in the I'm far fine. east. <laughs> They're gonna chip and pin your dog. Oh, good. Oh, it's all right. I, I I quite like order. Um, so like you know, just chip and pin me and fax me up. That's what I say. Yeah, give me all three at once. You're on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of anti-vaxxers. Oh, I'm the, I'm the opposite. I I love a wee bit of order to me day. Like I just like if I'm yeah. if I'm gonna have to stand in line while um Big Brother chants at me, I'll be like going, oh, "This is great." Like I'm normally freelance. I normally get up when I want and stuff. It's nice to have a wee bit of a bit of something something. <laughs> yeah, tell you, put a bit of Jesus. Is isn't the totalitarian government terrible? But it's great to have a bit of routine, Phil. Exactly, exactly. You know where everybody is and what they're doing, and we get locked down mm. at four p.m. and it's just you know, it's just George Orwell. She's just a bit of a complainer, really. Ramona, you know? a Ramona. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kev, how's it going? For the benefit of those who are tuning in to the Slacker Podcast, we have got Kojak, um, premier hip hop artist. Um, in in Europe, um, and yeah, he's on the podcast right now. With, uh, with a, by the time this comes out, with an album on the way. I don't think you've announced it specifically yet, have you? Uh, no, I mean I've been drip feeding it to my followers for a while, you know. But I I, I told them all I had it done in May, and I really didn't have it done until about last week. So <laughs> it's what? all about building that hype, Phil. Exactly. I I also like that you referred to me as a premier rapper in Europe. I think I'm gonna start calling myself a European rapper. European rapper. I think like you you haven't you haven't taken over the US yet because your album hasn't come out yet. So I'm giving I'm giving you Europe. It's like the Ryder Cup and golf or whatever. It's like Europe versus the US. You have to like, you have to like go go and take that over first. Yeah, I I love it. That's it's gonna be my new title. Because I love when people are like, uh, I love when Americans talk about visiting Europe. It's like, oh yeah, I was backpacking in Europe. It's like, where were you? Were you in RD or? Yeah, RD or Rome. Like, yeah, it, it does make a little bit of a difference. You Europeans are crazy. Um, but so tell me, tell me, like, I mean, we'll get, we'll get back into the deep, uh, the deep story of it all. And uh, we'll, we'll play a little demo um, of Bobby's Cream as well. Um, but tell me about it, a bit about the album to kick us off. Well, the album's called Town's Dead. And it's... Uh, Jesus, it ended up being a long L one now. It's about 55 minutes, 55, 54 minutes. But to be honest, I feel like I've been working on it for about six years. You know, some of the songs are the oldest songs that I've had mm. and tended to be the first ones that I showed to people. And they were kind of, I remember being very precious about them. You know, a lot of them are, are quite personal on the record. I remember being very precious, precious about them and just kind of back in the, in um, when I first started making the tunes, uh, I felt like those were the the kind of the best pieces of work that I'd made so far, and they were the ones I, I'd be all right with showing people. But I just didn't really have the chops just yet because I was recording it all myself and producing it all myself. So I felt, you know, I I want to put it out. I want it to be good. I want it to be well received, and I want it to be the best that it possibly can be. So I kind of sat on them for a long time, and then in the interim, made a couple of different projects like Delhi Daydreams, for example. That was um kind of the first i would call it a project rather yeah. than an album uh that was the first project i put out but i remember that was meant to be a kind of four track little ep that I was going to work on so that i had a bit of time to put into the album and then of course that always when you're working on a project it kind of tends to snowball and 
you know, went from four <laughs> tracks to being eight tracks and then it uh-huh. kind of came out and ended up doing very well, which I was delighted about. Yeah. And I'd say a lot of that had to do with how, uh, how unprecious I was with the work. You know, I, I was just having a lot of fun with it and I wasn't worrying too much about what people were going to think of it or, or anything like that. So I think it ended up being, it really had its own voice anyway, um, as a little project. I think maybe that's what kind of brought people towards it or something but yeah i mean like i i absolutely uh, adored it like and i think uh, bobby's cream i played to to bits which we're, we're going to get to in, in a, a little bit and yeah it did uh, encapsulate a lot a lot of people um that i don't know what it was but like it, it just it, it felt like a perfect project for me like i i, I have no like there was never a, a note that was spare on it that I didn't like. Do you know, I, I really enjoyed the, the whole project immensely. And it was one of the very few albums or projects that I, I go back to uh, and, and can listen to um, like over and over again. So it, it must take a lot of um, restraint as an artist to be able to know that you've got absolute fire and you can't release it. Like, I, I, if, like, my instinct would be, if I've done something great, would be to, like, just put it out as soon as I have it. But to sit on, mm. like, tracks for an album for four or five years, like, that must either fry your head to the point where you wanted to get it out, or maybe you're just, like, too nervous. But I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. It can, it can kind of be both, you know, because there's, I think there's a lot to be said for the initial energy you have for a track when you make it. Um. And it can be very difficult not to lose that in the interim of when you make the track and when it comes out finally. But at the same time, you know, uh, I am like a huge fan of bodies of work and particularly like conceptual albums or at least albums that kind of are tied together by some sort of string. And the unfortunate aspect of that is sometimes it just takes a lot of time before you can see the kind of wood from the trees. Um, so you kind of just have to sit back on tracks for a long time. But <clears throat> it's funny, even with the album, it took a lot longer to mix than I thought it was going to take. And that's, um, I came over to London in October to mix it and it wasn't done until like last week. So that's about a month and a half. It was about six weeks mixing the tra- mixing the record and, at this stage, it's I can't tell what the songs are anymore. You know, it's <laughs> honestly, it's like sonic shapes. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a, I can't, <laughs> the lyrics, whatever, like the music, I'm like, yeah, I guess it, what, you know, like I'm very happy with it. Uh-huh. But, um, but in terms of uh, that clarity that you have the first time you kind of listen to it, um, when you're not scrutinizing it and mixing it a million times and, that kind of clarity, you, you just tend to lose it um, as you go on, pretty much, you know. But I, like, I think like with, with projects like that, when you're so deep into the very, very end of it, you can almost lose the interest. Not, not lose the interest in it, but you're like, once you've finished it, you're like, God, thank God that's done. And you're like, oh, I never want to make an album again. I never want to write a book. I never want to paint. I never want to do anything ever again. And you're almost like glad. And then by the time it comes out, you start enjoying it again because people are feeding back to you. So you're like, oh, actually, I can see it for what it's worth. What stage are you in now? Uh, I am am dying to make some new music, Phil. (laughs) You know? But but like, I mean, there's one question I never ask people is like when they have their album out, I never ask them when like the next thing's coming because it feels like it's an 
irresponsible question to ask an artist who's just put something out, you know? Mm, yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, I, I agree with you there, you know, because yeah. that, that can be a very frustrating question because I guess you could interpret it as being very trivial or flippant as to how much work actually goes into making one, you know, cause this thing for me is I've been writing it since I was 20 years old and I'm 25 now. And yeah, it's like, yeah, but when's the next one? It's like, maybe when I'm 30, I'm not too sure, you know, but to be honest, I'm kind of like, I feel like that five years has all been kind of just like practice and perfecting the craft. And at this stage, my production is a lot better than it used to be. My ability to record myself is a lot better. I mean, the whole record was recorded in my wardrobe at home in Dublin. So, and I hope it doesn't sound like that. But... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just spent six weeks in London in a fancy <laughs> studio mixing it, mixing it to yeah. not sound like a wardrobe. Here, I'll tell you mm-hmm. what, let, let's, let's take it back to the, the listeners who, who are um, slacker, uh, slacker, um, regulars mightn't have heard um this this is a, a version of bobby's cream is this the version that ended up on on Dally daydreams or is this a different version so this is the first demo version of bobby's cream which i would have sent over to uh jar jar the reason why it's called bobby's cream is because Bob <laughs> jar jar on facebook his name is like bobby hmm. and so he sent me a track called cream and i really liked it so i did a little demo in my macbook webcam because i i didn't have like uh my mic wasn't in the house at the time and i was just like off you know what i don't need a big crazy demo i had just finished the rap i was like this sounds great i was really excited about it you know so i wanted to send it over to him straight away so i like recorded it into my um macbook just with the with the song playing through the beats and uh my little brother's girlfriend at the time came in to the room because i was recording it right before I went out to this party and she came in looking for a hairbrush or something. And I remember kind of just having a little flipping conversation with her at the end of it. And that little interlude ended up, uh, going on the record and it kind of really informed what the concept of the record was going to be about, you know, cause from there I went, Oh yeah, we could do kind of like a Christmas party. And then that kind of plays in with this little interlude that's at the end. And I just thought it was a real sweet kind of exchange. And a that's, very happy accident. That's the difference in the mind of an artist, in the mind of um, somebody who, do, who doesn't um, make art, is that most people would just turn around and go, get the fuck out of my room. <laughs> Whereas the artist is <laughs> going, oh, it's no maybe we can make this into a thing. And with, that, with the G's and the wee bit and the bebop, the boo-boo. Um, I'll yeah. tell you what, right, let's, let's, let's bang in the demos. This is Bobby's Cream. in for the pound we split a fifth of that henny i'm talking sober shit now then this isn't confession am i acting a child i'm saying prayers and hanging out you haven't talked in a while that's a lie i've been talking you just didn't reply you're just not that into it but that won't satisfy i got to pick apart the 50 different ways that you hate me all cause i got left on the shelf but me and you were never more than a daydream so maybe i just hate myself Fuck 
fucked that cause all the signs were present and all the looks checked out and we've been smitten since seven I had the numbers to dial even acted the gentleman kiss goodbye and a smile told me that Johanna been in love in a while so where did I mess up did I come on too strong was I the next too many did we make love too long did I write your name too many times throughout these songs I'm falling out far for these failures I liked it better when we were strangers You know, the belt to grip the body Until I make it the majors There's no room that you're in So for now, can't we fuck in the manger? For now, can't we fuck in the manger? So for now, let's fuck in the manger yeah. I'm less of a wise man, more a prodigal son Follow anything that glitters, spend my gold on a gun Hold up the Grammys for gramophones Oh mom, don't come to see her son on stage I'm laying waste to the funds Been invested in me since I smashed the skin of them drums I beg for rent PCs to beat my eardrums numb Request those burnt CDs and catch the skin them blunts And lie like late light walks, we used to clear these lungs <laughs> Start the workout. If I finally up this essay up the work count, graduate with honors, would you still think I'm a burnout? If I made it on the telly, would we work out? If I give up the deli, start the workout. If I finally start this essay up the work count, graduate with honors, would you still think I'm a burnout? Who knows? That's how it goes, right? Who knows? That's how it goes, right? Who knows how this shit goes, right? Who knows? That's how it goes, right? How they get goes right, I. Who knows how this shit goes right? Who knows that's how it goes right? Who knows that's how it goes right? Who knows that's how it goes right? Who knows how this shit goes right? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, 
but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That was a demo of Kojak and uh, Bobby's Cream. Um, I, th- I still think that like, that's probably my, my favorite song of, of yours. It, like, it's that. I, I'm, Schmelly is coming, coming up as like a, on the inside right of it. I think the more, the more I listen to it. And the first track of Delhi Daydreams as well. Um, oh, God, the name escapes me right now. White Noise. White Noise, yeah. That one's absolutely banging as well. Um, so, like, before we sort of get more into that, I want to know, like, your sort of musical history. Like, was hip-hop always your thing? You, you did, did you ever play in, like, embarrassing screamo bands or... How did well, you- uh, not an embarrassing screamo band. I was in some embarrassing indie bands. Oh, yeah? Back in the day. I mean, you know what? what Phil, we- they weren't embarrassing. I was 15. No, I played, what can you say? I played in the bands. Yeah, it's fine. I, I'm just thinking of my buddies back home that are going to text me straight away. They're in the band and I'm still friends with them. They're like, embarrassing, yeah? I, I, was, I, uh, I talked about my band on a, on a different podcast than my own. And um, the drummer is one of my best friends. And I called him the drummer instead of Paul. And I told it an embarrassing story and, and it got back. So just watch what you say. <laughs> yeah. But I was, uh, yeah, <clears throat> my, my family are all very musical. Like uh, my two older brothers are in a band. Uh, one of them is a piano teacher. My younger brother was in BIM doing guitar. He's like a freak on guitar. Anytime we do kind of the live band versions of uh, our sets, he usually plays guitar or bass for me. Um, and he's played on the record as well. Actually, all of my brothers have kind of had a hand in um, my music all throughout. Like my two older brothers would have been the ones that would have engineered for me at the beginning when I was trying to make demos and all through kind of Delhi Daydreams. They would even like the string section on the beginning of White Noise. My brother Dan helped me with that. And so they've been like super instrumental in my kind of musical kind of experience, I suppose. And then, of course, I was in all the, all the, I started off playing drums and then I played guitar and I had a band and I used to sing in a band and we were really into indie music. I was flat out listening to Maccabees and what I were remember you, I, what were you called? We were called the Matadors. The Matadors? Yep. Is, like, if, if anybody wants to like go and search this out, can they find it? No, I believe it's, uh, it's long gone, Phil. I have rinsed the internet of any of our. Um, <laughs> There's a band called the Matadors on Spotify, and it's it's rockabilly horror music, and it's called Horror Billy. That's not you, no. Uh, God, we never got as far as Spotify. Now, <laughs> I don't think we had any originals. We, what was, we did. What was your covers mainly? But what was your covers? Oh, ocean. Wow, ocean. What Teddy King do? We used to. Um, we did like Kings of Leon. We did some Darwin D's, some Maccabees, Two Door Cinema Club, of course. Shout out to the parish there, Phil. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it was mainly like indie. And then when I was about 15 or 16, I got mad into hip hop, just obsessively into hip hop. Um, and just loved it. I thought I was just like, this is amazing. Like particularly kind of like Tyler, the creator. And I think the kind of message that I would have got from his music a lot was just like, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. Like if this is something that you want to do, go and do it. 
Mm. And that really just stuck in my head. And I got really kind of almost, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this because people think you can't do it. You know that way? It's a very yeah, rebellious I I, teenager I kind, of, kind of like, mentality. Tyler, the creator, has been and such an influence on over 10 years, probably like two school generations, really, um, of, of people, right? But the title of the creator that influenced you was the title of the creator was I'm a fucking Triceratops, right? Like, yeah. I know the, 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 the title of the creator that's influencing people now singing on the Grinch soundtrack and like, you know, um, Flower Boy album. Um, I think like he's a, he's a good role model on, on, on how to start one place and move another. Yeah, I mean, in terms of transitioning, he's, he's done it fairly seamlessly you know from his early stuff which uh i mean if if any of his records from 2010 were coming out now i, I don't think we'd know who oh the jesus creator is. Like, yeah he'd be he'd be sent to the middle of the sun in a rocket like <laughs> that shit was coming yeah. out. 2010 10 years ago like that was that was the time of, yeah of odd future and um kendrick lamar and joey badass was just around the corner um kicking off was it always like the the new school hip-hop that was lighting you up or did you jump into the old school too well i think from there i kind of got into i don't think kendrick was next for me i think kind of mf doom was the big one and for him i i listened to him for years and years and from him, from there it was kind of like a lot of biggie i'm a massive biggie fan um not so much Tupac, a lot of Common, Kanye West, and then Kendrick, kind of. I think Shireen was the first Kendrick track I ever listened to when I was kind of in first year of college or something. And I remember just being like, what is this? And for that to be the kind of first track off Good Kid, Mad City, it leaves you on such a cliffhanger. And so I, I couldn't not listen to the record. So and my that favorite, one, favorite album of his. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a toss-up. It depends on the kind of day I'm in. It's either that or it's a pimp of butterfly, um, of course. But yeah, I mean, it, like those tracks, tracks off Good Kid, Mad City, referenced all throughout the mixing process of my album, like Sing About You and tons of tracks like that. But you know, that, that was kind of, they were who I was really listening to in my kind of formative years of trying to figure out what my music was going to sound like and how I was going to write it. When, when you say like it's referenced, do you mean referenced like in, in the music or referenced like lyrically or like, yeah, what do you mean? So <clears throat> some of the tracks were kind of in, would have been like inspired by say like Sing About You. I remember like listening to the track and just being so amazed at how it was constructed in terms of like how songwriting works, you know, like each three verses and Sing About You, let's take for example, you know, are all from a different perspective, but they all hark back to a similar kind of theme and it's all just, mm. you know, like not wanting to be forgotten and, and basically just that kind of, I guess it's kind of the driving force in a lot of music. It's that very human feeling of like, I am here, I want to be acknowledged, like when I'm gone, like are you gonna sing about me? Um, and I think that's kind of like quite a primal thing and. I think you see it in every kind of music. That's kind of, that is exactly what music is about, you know? Um, no matter how, I, I feel like some music, musical genres, you want to be like very pure and, you know, this is just for me and yada, yada, but I think that's kind of bollocks. No, uh, like, the, I mean, if you 
especially hip hop. Yeah. I mean, especially rap music in general, grime as well. Like it's about leaving your indelible mark and, mm. and, and, and being cock of the walk too. Like it's a very um, competitive uh, genre and a very entrepreneurial genre as well. Yeah. I mean, that's the politest way of saying it's all about the money. <laughs> yeah. But do you know what well, I mean? Like, there's no other genre really like it. And mm. it's not a subgenre anymore. It's the, it's the ultimate yeah. overground mainstream by quite some distance. Yeah, completely. So like Kendrick's music would have been referenced um, right down from songwriting to, uh, to kind of feel like and a lot to mixing in terms of like like mixed by Ali's an incredible mixer so I mean myself and Danny T who rec- uh, mixed the record were flat out watching videos of mixed by Ali you know just like figuring out how he mixes you mixing in mono and getting <laughs> these little crappy speakers that you got to mix too and all this sort of stuff there's there's so, so much more to mixing like that the art of that and the science of that than than I I understand at all. Like I played in bands and run like run small DIY labels and stuff, but I could be around music forever and not understand mixing. I had Kenny Beats on here last week, um, chatting about it, and anytime you go into like the specifics of it, like, <clears throat> you know like that gif of like the, the all the symbols like floating around the head. That's kind of like yeah. how I feel. Yeah, it's so funny, man, because it's it really is like the invisible labor of music because when a song is really mixed well and you hear it for the first time, it doesn't matter if you're an expert mix engineer or if you're, you know, just a lay person, there's something about it that just hooks you in. Um, of course, the music has to be good, but mixing is, is such an invisible labor and such an invisible kind of like an important part of that. Um so it can't really be overlooked, you know. Hmm. Is there but, is there a song that like if um, a hip hop like producer or a producer in general is listening to this right now that you would suggest going that this is like one of the best mixed songs of all time? What would I go listen to? Oh lordy, it's very hard to say. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of the old school stuff like uh, like Black Sabbath, Iron Man by Black Sabbath. There's a really uh, <laughs> yeah there. If you listen to Iron Man by Black Sabbath, there's a really interesting part of it. And when you think about it, this is back in like 60s, 70s. I'm not exactly sure when that tune came out, but there's a part at the start of that song where Ozzy Osbourne goes, I am Iron Man. I love it. 1970. Yeah. And the way they recorded that was they, they literally got Ozzy Osbourne to sing through an electric fan. And you've, you've probably done it yourself. It's the T-Pain effect. Yeah. You know, when you get like a, you know, an electric fan and you sing through it and you get that weird kind of like auto-tune-y voice thing. Hold that's, on, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play it. Let's, let's hope this, is, this doesn't pull, get the podcast pulled down, but I need to hear it now. That is Ozzy Osbourne singing through a fan. And if you've got good enough speakers, you turn it up, you can actually hear the electric motor, the fan. Um, That's incredible. Like there was this thing going around um, Twitter like the, the other week where it was like, what are the four words she wants to hear in bed? I am Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's tons of records that are like that. Like um, 
Brittany Howard stuff is is it's really interesting how that's engineered and mixed. Um, or even like her stuff with Alabama Shakes. I think I remember he Danny has a book um who mixed the record. He has a book in his studio that we were reading a lot while we were mixing. And uh the kind of engineer and mixer who did that first Alabama Shakes record was doing mad stuff with Britney Howard's vocal. Like mm. there's one particular song where they had Britney put um, cotton wool in her mouth, like mm-hmm. basically fill her mouth with cotton wool and then sing uh, super close to this microphone. And you can hear it. I can't tell you the track now off the top of my head, but if you go through that Alabama Shakes record, there's one particular song. And when you listen to it, it's got a super strange quality to the vocal. Mm-hmm. And then when you kind of think about it, you're like, yep, there's cotton wool in her mouth, 100%. When you talk about conceptual things like this, your you're like eyes light up. Like, you know, the, the, like it, it's, it's the small, like little artistic things that like it seem to get like your um, juices rolling. And it's not just music really, is it? Because like at uni, you did fine art and you did yeah. pre- pretty good um, there as well. So like the, the whole sort of conceptual business is something that's not just for music for you, is it? I find it incredibly interesting um, because I don't know, I guess at the end of the day with most artists, what you're seeing in terms of their output is like a finished piece that's probably been worked on by a team of like 40, 50 people and um, like at least, and there's probably hundreds of thousands of quid pumped into it and stuff. And I remember, I don't know, there was, like for me it's always been very much independent and i i was kind of like lulled into a false sense of security especially seeing like tidy the creators first stuff and that sort of thing thinking you know it's like whoa this is one guy now in fairness to him he produced a lot of his stuff himself and wrote it all himself but i'd be looking at videos like yonkers and being like yeah this is just like one dude definitely like one guy <laughs> but he's like signed to sony and like you know he's got like a crazy budget so i was i think back when i was kind of like 18 or kind of 20 i was like yeah i mean if he can do it why can't i do it and so that's kind of where like recording myself and mixing myself and it's the same with like people like skepta and, and even stormzy on his first album like they, they the whole like thing is like you know diy till the core and stuff but they have distributors that are like putting teams around them. Like nobody is actually DIY. I couldn't tell you any artist that's actually full yeah. DIY. Do you know who? Mm. Do you know who? Who's normally DIY comedians? Yeah. Oddly, yeah. Oddly, yeah. like they'll drive themselves he, around. They'll put their art together. And like, mm, yeah. But um, I mean, even like I went into the label copy for the record there the other day even like myself in fairness like i i write all the lyrics and that sort of thing but my record is an incredibly collaborative project like there's Mm. there's close to probably like 40 50 people who worked on the record i'd say even from kind of like management down to all the players that do kind of like sax or trumpet or keys and different producers and all that sort of thing so you know, no man is an island. As much as hip hop is very singular and kind of look at me and I'm on the stage and everyone pay attention, even that sort of stuff when it comes to sampling or you know, no person's an island. Like it's it's very much collaborative thing. Like the, the the thing is, like Ireland is taken off in a in a way, and I'm sure you've had people talk to you about it a lot in the past, and it's a it's something that's um, aimed at 
people like yourself and 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 people like Murder Capital and Fontaine's DC, like you know, it, there's a there's a non-genre like movement in youth music where Ireland is actually on top for the first time I can ever remember. Like I wasn't mm. I, like. I, yeah, like I mean, rave, early rave music in Ireland was like was pretty big around the world, but like, I was on like I was on fucking rusks at that stage, like so like I don't remember any of that. I just remember the old artists being the big artists forever, and this feels yeah. like it's the first time in my life in the thirty odd years that I've been on the planet that it's a changing of the guard. What like how do you see it? Well, I think there's kind of like a democratization that the internet has brought which means the kind of talent that is in Ireland no longer needs the industry influence in order for it to be raised to the top, if you know what I mean. Sure, yeah. And as well as that, I think there's probably, uh, you know, big industries and big labels tend to go with what works and what has worked in the past. And bar, you know, a couple of massive has probably Chris DeBerg or Sinead O'Connor, you know, there's, um, you know, big singers from Ireland. Apart from that, stuff that's kind of like maybe a little bit more alternative, like the hip hop stuff that's coming out of Ireland, we haven't really seen it, not not on like a global scale, you know, but I think there's kind of that ability now um, for people to put it out themselves and the general public will always gravitate towards good music if it's good music. Um, and as well as that, I think the Irish are kind of finding their voice finally. Yeah, in a, in a kind of way that they haven't really in the past. Far a couple of, you know, people in the trad scene, and and um, there are artists, of course. Like I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting, but uh, I think we're kind of no longer ashamed to be like, you know, what, I'm Irish, and I make tunes, and I make art, and I'm here, and I've got as much of a, um, yeah, I have a, as much of a right to be here as anyone else. That that's it. It's it's just the bringing Ireland into the 21st century and, and move, moving it with the times. Like, I mean, we're, like as, as great a country as we are, like we can sometimes be a little stuck in the past and have to play a little bit of catch up. And it doesn't feel like mm. that, that that's exactly um, the way it's happening right now. Like who plays the trail for you? What, like how important was people, were people like Reggie Snow and stuff like that for, for you? Like as yeah. a rapper? I remember looking at Reggie a lot as as a kid and being like, oh, I, I think it, like a lot of envy really when I was growing up and kind of coming up on the scene and it was kind of just like, I, we're a very similar age and um, yeah, it's that, it's that hip hop mentality of like, no, I'm the best, like, <laughs> you know, I'm just like shitting on anybody who's not you. And a lot of that for me came from, uh, not being happy with where I was personally, you know, so uh, from kind of from working and, and putting more kind of resources into myself and uh, kind of honor up my skills to kind of let go of that envy for a good, you know, for the most part. And I'm, I'm fairly happy with what I'm doing now. Um, but yeah, definitely like looking towards looking towards like Reggie Snow and a good few other artists. I'm trying to think, but to be Mind honest, Boy, I was... Boy had a big bit, like, because like he was like, he had a musical career that was do, doing fairly well in Ireland and outside of Ireland. It, it was it was comedy songs, but he was doing everything his own way. He was like mm. forging his own path. And I kind of respected that, that artistry to it. Yeah. And I mean, the Rubber Bandits have some amazing songs. Some, 
like Magic Lump is a fucking incredible tune by him or Willie O'D. Um, a horse outside even, you know. Mm. And to, to be able to see that um, do as well as it did and unapologetically so, you know, it, it was very much its own thing from their own brain. So to see that was also a great help uh, in terms of figuring out what I was going to sound like and how I was going to approach the kind of art. And I think they're, they're very much like DIY to the core as well, you know? So they were great. And Blind Boy's always been very good for um, kind of using his platform to promote younger and up and coming artists. Like even with April, I'm sure April says it all the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, Blind Boy was one of the first people to kind of share her music and through that, um, a lot of people got onto her. So yeah, he's been great. Rubber Bandits have been great as well. But I, I see you like, <clears throat> nonstop giving giving it back, and yeah, that, that makes me happy. I, I, you can tell how good a person is that if they have a platform, they'll use it to to send it back because they'll be glad of the support that they got on the way up and know how difficult it was. Um, yeah. and that's like a video why I wanted to talk about Softboy Records as well because that was a thing where like you know I, I remember chatting to you around the time maybe just before i think a gig in cork maybe was it like music cork and you'd sold out the academy um mm. and it was just great I, like i remember reading about it afterwards I, obviously i couldn't be there i was in london but you, like you brought everybody with you like it's not it's not like kojak's record label it's just like a record label that you are part of it feels like more of a collective is that right yeah i i know where you're coming from there um i i mean if if i see good art or good music and i i know i've got you know a, a small but a decent platform you know mm. if i can share it and kind of put somebody onto the tunes then i i definitely will because i noticed there could be like anybody from people who editors from spotify playlists or and all it takes really is just like one proper organic interaction for your song to get put in the right playlist or get shown to the right people. Um, Cause even from the point of view that I'm at, I'm sure from an outsider perspective, it maybe it would seem that it's like, I have it figured out and you know, it's all going well, but half the time I'm, you know, full of self doubt and I'm not, I'm not sure if what I'm doing is right and what I'm doing is wrong. And, those cosigns are are important and and it is something that you get more in in hip hop culture than 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 most other um genres like who is the who's cosigned you where you've been like whoa hold on hmm I remember getting a shout out from Hosier once and that was mad enough <laughs> I was like but he's a legend though yeah he's he's a good guy I have a lot of time for that man. Maybe the most kind, gentlest giant I've ever met in my life. So I, I interviewed him face to face for the for the podcast here a little, a little while ago, maybe on season one. And I was just taken aback by how tall he was. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, he's like an ant. He's an ant that's descended upon the folk scene from Wicklow. <laughs> and they've shaved him up well but uh he's a lovely fella and he's another one that's uh that's not shy to use the platform for good but oh. i remember being on uh instagram there it was only a week or two ago oh, god i can never remember her first name plu is her second name 
She was in Wonder. Oh, what's it? She was in Midsummer. Oh my God! Yeah, what a great movie that was. An absolute trip. Brilliant film. Yeah. Who do you do you remember the the main actress's name from that? I can never. I can't remember my own name, um, without looking at Unags. So it's it's so it's uh, something Plue, Florence Plue. That was it. She's and the, uh, she's the she's the one that they. I mean, I don't want to give a spoiler away to somebody. She, yeah, she, she has a very bad time in a summer camp. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, you should oh, write, she, write the trailer for it. Yeah, I write my six-year-old like <laughs> movie notes for that film. But yeah, Florence Pugh. I was um, I was going through Instagram and she was cooking. I think she was, it was just up on our Instagram story, but she was cooking away, making something. And what was playing in the background, but Yankees music. Um, and if you don't know Yankee, he's a musician from Cork and he's absolutely amazing. He's, he's uh, records all this stuff himself and hmm. produces it all himself. And um, we just put his uh, Cannibal Tree record out on Softboy. Uh, it was from last year, but we thought for the anniversary, we'd put it on wax. And I remember just going through Instagram and being like, I know that tune, that's Cannibal Tree, and sending it on to Graeme. Just being like, this is so perplexing, you know. Graeme is um, like unsigned from Cork, making his tunes in his bedroom, and here's Florence Plue listening to it with her two million followers or whoever. It's crazy, crazy how these things get around the world. Like, um, I had... Um, Rat Boy on my label, very early days. Um, and I remember being super excited about the new Kendrick album coming out. And like, I, it's one of the very few artists that like I would stay up and, li- and listen to at midnight and I would listen to it just completely full way through. Uh, and I was getting super excited about it. And I like had bought loads of beer and like I had bought like a deck of fags when I was smoking and a lot of beers. And I was like, I'm just gonna listen to Kendrick all night. And yeah. ended up passing out about half 11. And like woke up and got like a million phone calls in the morning. And the first I looked at it and I was like, phone me, phone me, phone me. And I phoned my friend Johnny. And he was like, Kendrick has sampled Rat Boy on the new album. Yeah. And we're, and we're like, what <laughs> the fuck? And I'm like, going, is it one of, like the first thing I'm going, is it one of ours? Is it one of ours? Is it one of ours? And I was like, yeah, it is. Listen to it. No, it wasn't. <laughs> But still, it doesn't matter. Like, like you, you, yeah. you just never know. Because like, when you make those connections with different producers and you work with different producers, you never know who's working with who. Yeah, I'll tell you a funny one. I was chatting to um, Tom from Fontaine's DC. He's the drummer. Hmm. And I was chatting to him there the other day, just congratulating him on the Grammy nomination, obviously. And he was telling me, you know, he's from Mayo. And uh, he was telling me he had a... A terrible morning that day. I think he woke up, maybe he was hung over and he had to do this talk for a secondary school in Mayo and it was over Zoom and he thought he was kind of giving a lecture, but he kind of did the did the Zoom call anyway. And sure, your man introduced him as like DC Fontaine's uh-huh. Tom is here. And sure, the fucking kids in Mayo secondary school on Zoom couldn't give couldn't be arsed with the whole thing. I, I remember him telling me that the very last question they asked, and they were like, "Does anybody have any questions for Tom?" And one fella puts his hand up and he's like, uh, "Are you on Spotify?" Or and then that was like it. And he was like, signed off the Zoom. You know, just like, oh, why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. 5 p.m. rolls around. It's like, congratulations, Tom. You've been nominated for a Grammy. 
if anybody ever asks you to go back and speak at your old school, don't do it because the kids yeah. don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully now after this, they'll get their music put up on Spotify anyway, Phil. Exactly. I think, I think that the Fontaine's DC, like, you know, if they get the, they get the right, the right back and maybe you'll take them on tour. <laughs> I would, I would love to see that tour. That would be a good tour. That would be I, a yeah, I opened up for them in um, in Belfast there last year, and it was brilliant. I I really loved it. I mean, the guys are incredible. I have so much time for Fontaines. Um, I think their music is absolutely amazing. Speaking of of tours, like I've I've seen you play live. It's a it's a it's a wonderful show. Like, what what is your what is your like favorite show to date? What's been the the one that you, you sort of still floats about in your brain? I would say my favorite show is probably the set I did at All Together Now uh, last summer. And it was um, a set with the full band. And so I've got, let's see, I've got Ryan, Matthew, Finn, Liam, Mikey. Yeah, so I think there's five of us. God love me if I'm forgetting anybody. Keen does the backing singing as well. But... Um, I love playing with the live band, man. I, I, I really, really love it. it. There's so much to play off on stage. I'm used to being there by myself, you know, so mm. there's, and especially on big festival stages, it's fun to be able to run around, but, you know, there's a lot of space that you have to occupy and you've got to give a really big performance because you're on a big stage and it, it really does warrant it. But when you have the band there behind you, you know, you can just sit back for a minute and let the keys play or sit back and watch the sax play. It's unbelievable. We got to, uh, we covered These Walls by Kendrick. Um, we kind of based our performance off his rendition of the song that he did on Ellen. Um, and I, I mean, obviously, massive Kendrick fan. And I think, uh, I don't know if I've ever actually seen that tune live, maybe once in 2015 when I went to see him, but there's just something different when you see it like in front of a crowd, like the, the, the tent is something like 6,000 capacity and we had a full from before we even started playing. That's and that, that alone was like unbelievable. Um, you must be praying to God the festivals will go ahead this year because like the, with the like, level of steam that you've built on this hype train, like you need a, a full stop, something to like a brick wall to be able to crash it. You know what I mean? You need those festivals to, to be able I to know. play. I'm dying for them and festivals, you know, I've really from missing out on them this year, regardless of being a, um, an artist, you know, even as a punter festivals are so integral in my life. And I didn't really realize until they were gone, you know, they're festivals, you know, they're celebrations and they're, they're really good markers for different points in the year. And it's just feels like a time you can actually just breathe. It's like you, you're inhaling the whole year. You don't realize the amount of tension you have until you can kind of really let it out. But the only time of the year that you can go and spend that amount of time, get, get absolutely mangled and, nobody feels bad about it afterwards because because it, it was just a festival it's a guilt-free yeah. over yeah yeah it's unbelievable um listen man thank you so much for um selecting these tracks and i will um, speak to you soon good luck with the debut album and the big massive fuck you to everybody this year kojak for president make hip-hop great again <laughs>
Oh, Jack for Prez 2020. Let's get it, baby. Go up in the pocket. Making our money straight off the dome, Phil. Let's go. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 